Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive in June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. So hungry. Okay, which chips? Kettle, Cheetos, paprika, kettle, salt, and crushed peppercorn. Kettle. You order whatever. I'll eat any. Let's break out every single option. Okay. Except for kettle. Cheddar and red onion or salt and crushed peppercorn? I love this wine. No, I'm adding a bueno. <laughs> okay, done? hurry up. God, what am I doing? (laughs) This is now 20 pounds. (laughs) Welcome to After Work Drinks. The weekly catch-up between best friends and magazine editors Isabel Truman and Grace O'Neill that you, Lucky Ducks, get to join in on. And for the first time in six months, we are sitting opposite each other. We have a wine in hand and we are very happy about it. Extremely happy about it. I feel like being reunited was a very surreal emotional experience (laughs) for me. We went to Granger & Co and had like a very Sydney afternoon mm-hmm. for london some ricotta pancakes had an oat milk latte had a very very successful op shop trip yes insanely successful actually and yeah it's been glorious the funny you're so funny when we haven't seen each other for a while grace gets like awkward and i knew that <laughs> i was like gonna- what do i do what do i do <laughs> I knew you were going to be like that when we saw each other on the street and we were walking up to each other and you were like, I feel weird. (laughs) I was like, do we hug? You were like, yes. (laughs) Um, And then we got a bit drunk and went to the pub 
as per got some chips and then the best part about that night was that we had sent off an email to a icon of ours ambitiously asking for an interview and then they sent back an amazing response really quickly where they said hello girls i what i must decline (laughs) yeah it's our new response to everything yeah it was just um and it was her, it was her directly. So when we got an email back from her, we were so stoked. And then she was just declining and she just said, I must decline with absolutely no um, context or reason. <laughs> She's like, I just have to. I don't know why. I simply I just must do. decline. Um, so that's what we're just going to say from now on whenever we don't want to do something. Because that's the thing. Like, that is such a her thing to say. Why does she have to give an excuse? Exactly. She's a feminist. She shouldn't yeah. have to explain anything. And then me and Izzy had had just enough wine that we thought it was a good idea to send her back a selfie of us drinking red wine saying, that's okay, we love you anyway. <laughs> In the back of my brain, she was going to respond and be like, oh, go on then, you little scamps. I can do Wednesday. <laughs> I must revoke my email before. Yes, I will come on. I know. Yeah, we're sitting at like this disgusting pub with your ciggies on the table and fries looking wasted. And um, she obviously just didn't reply. Yeah. But it's okay. It's okay. And then um, on the weekend, so Friday was a bit of a kind of work afternoon turned drunken pub email situation there's um, a real like loose line between the two <laughs> i know we can sending never... work emails us being like hello yeah we can never figure out if we're hanging out as friends or colleagues but then on the weekend we had a, another day out and grace came east because she lives west and i live east and although it sucks it's probably good for our sanity considering we spend every second together mm-hmm. and i was like let's go to london fields because it's probably going to be the last nice day of the summer and everyone hangs out in London fields and I always spot celebrities walking past and as we were playing Monopoly Deal with our friend (laughs) Hannah and drinking some beers at that very moment I was like oh I wonder if blah blah is gonna walk through who I've seen a bunch and then I look up and I go oh my god it's Paul Mescal Izzy just goes it's Paul Mescal And just turned to the left in like a crowded park with quite a lot of people and just met eyes with Paul Mescal walking down the street with his girlfriend that we talked about in the podcast. Yep. Actually spotted out in the wild. Very nonchalant and casual. He was in like a button down khaki kind of shirt. Jeans. Glasses? Sunglasses? In no, my head? I because I, I definitely caught his eye. Okay, so not sunglasses. And then his cute little girlfriend, Phoebe, was wearing a little dress mm. and her hair was up in a bun. And you just wouldn't have noticed, was it? Half bun, like a bit of a <laughs> yeah, tied yeah. up thing. Yeah. Um, and you just wouldn't have spotted them unless Izzy happened to be looking at that precise moment. Yeah. I looked up from the game onto the path and they were walking, um, I don't know, meters, but very close to Incredibly us. Incredibly close. Like yeah. 20 meters away. And um, I don't know if that's far or short. but <laughs> No, way less. It was like one meter <laughs> two meters i don't know right not even a meter and then um uh, yeah i caught his eye and then i was like oh god whatever and i just go it's poor me scale <laughs> i was like i just can't even be bothered trying to be chill and then our friend hannah turned around and as soon as they were walked as soon as they couldn't see us she starts taking full fan photos so there's a like a blurry 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 two pixel shot of them as like a <laughs> dot in a background next to a mr whiffy van yeah um and then later that night he's dressed up for the emmys yes i was like he can't be doing that because we saw him <laughs> two hours ago like around the corner from his house of course he can 
Yeah. Um, but yes, so let's talk about the Emmys, actually. Good segue. Yep. So I didn't watch them and neither did you. No. But we saw them on Instagram, mm-hmm. which is the main thing. Yeah, that's like where they kind of happened this year, it felt like, because it was a socially distanced virtual event. event. I think that the main thing to talk about is Zendaya, who won Best Lead Actress in a Drama Series for her role as Rue on Euphoria. You still haven't seen it, which you really need to do. Mm. Um, And she is the youngest person to ever win that award. And she is only the second ever black woman to win that award, which is actually outrageous. Yeah, it's disgraceful. Um, And she looked incredible, stunning, gorgeous, perfect. Perfect. (laughs) Could not be better. She was wearing Christopher John Rogers, who's this amazing, amazing designer that is finally getting a huge amount of recognition. And that gif of her winning was so cute. Yeah, she made it her Instagram display pic. It's so nice. The thing that's hilarious was that we shared on our Instagram at After Work Drinks podcast, um, was Rami Youssef, who's a comedian, posted a video with the caption, when you lose the Emmy. And it was just this person in a full hazmat suit, like (laughs) waving goodbye through his glass in this really jolly way and taking his Emmy with them. So when you look, like everyone who's nominated for an Emmy had a person in a hazmat suit standing outside their room to give to them if they won. And then if they lost, that person just left with the Emmy, which is just kind of the most hilarious thing ever. So wild. Um, and then Shit's Creek uh, just won large. And I don't think we've really talked about Shit's Creek on the podcast before, but if you haven't seen it, you should because it is very funny. Very, very funny. People are obsessed with it. Like, it's got such a cult following. I, I, I started watching the first episode and I just wasn't paying enough attention. And you can never judge any show by the first episode because they're usually not that good. Let's watch some after this. Okay. And the other thing that was really cool was obviously there was no red carpet. Um, some people like Tracy Ellis Ross and Zendaya and other amazing people still did full looks and posted them to Instagram. But there were some amazing people who used it as an opportunity to do cool like Black Lives Matter statements through their clothes. Mm-hmm. So Regina King and Uzo Aduba both wore Breonna Taylor shirts and they both won. And Sandra Oh had this amazing like silken tracksuit that was by a Korean brand where she got Black Lives Are Precious stitched in it, which is like the closest Korean translation of Black Lives Matter. It was really Aww. nice. We love to see it. I also loved that a bunch of shows were having their own parties so the insecure cast were just in this random football stadium all getting lit together oh is that what that video was you showed me yeah it's ray yeah yeah that's her just in a football stadium getting lit for the emmys i feel like it would be i honestly feel like it would be more fun than going to the emmys yeah having having someone outside like imagine getting drunk and having a person in a hazmat suit outside with seven emmys that you could win and you're just like hey and then you don't win any but you're like whatever and it's just funny and it's all playing out on instagram mm. i feel like it would be more fun than being at the emmys yeah yeah and they're all having their own parties their own individual parties and it's just fun yeah let's never do the normal ones again anyway Shall we move on to the other very iconic piece of content that happened over the past week, which is Fast Times at Ridgemont High? Yes. So this, I I get a bit cynical about these kind of celebrity charity fundraiser things. I usually think they're not going to be that great or that they're going to be a bit boring. But we sat and watched this and it was really amazing 
much more amazing than I ever would have given it credit for. Yeah, so if anyone isn't across what this is, it's basically why Brad and Jen have been in the headlines again about like a Zoom reunion and it was a charity event to raise money for um, COVID relief and it was Morgan Freeman narrating, Henry Hottie Golding, Jennifer Aniston, Brad Pitt, Jimmy Kimmel, Julia Angel Roberts, Sean Penn, Shea Legend LeBou, <laughs> Ray Le- Leota, John Legend randomly, Matthew McConaughey. And moderated by Dane Cook, who I don't know who he is, but you don't like him. I just don't like him. He just sucks. I was like, what are you doing here? You don't belong here with everyone else. (laughs) Yeah. And um, it was really amazing. Sean Penn was in the original and he played the character that Cher LaBeouf played in the The read. read. And it was so funny because we were watching it. We were lying on my bed and we were watching it thinking that Cher was literally high and drunk off his nut while everyone else was taking it super seriously. And it's the, I think people didn't get it at first because everyone, when they, they introduced everyone through zoom and Shia was like in his car, smoking a blunt, like banging the steering wheel, looking like a lunatic and people looked really uncomfortable. I don't know if that was part of the thing, but I think people, I think the actors didn't get it either. Yeah. So Jennifer Aniston and Ray Liotta and someone else looked really annoyed. Yeah, because they, they thought it was just wasted when they'd all been taking this super seriously and they'd all gotten on this Zoom call for charity and it looked like he was off his nut wasted. And then you realize that it's actually he's like method acting. And he's, he, he's knew, like an artist. Yeah. And you're watching it and you're like, oh my God, he knew the whole time. Yeah. And he knew all his lines off by heart while everyone else was reading off the script. And he was, so he was playing Sean Penn's character from the original movie, which is just this kind of dropkick, like stoner guy who ends up getting in a car crash. And so that's why he was sitting in his car and he was like dripping with sweat. He's just, I don't know. I don't know why he's so hot, but he is. I, it was the first time I feel like watching that video encapsulated my journey in terms of understanding Shia LaBeouf. <laughs> I was watching it and I was like, you're so annoying. Why do you have to make everything about you? Why are you trying to look cool and arty and interesting and different when everyone's just trying to do this nice thing for charity? You're making all these amazing actors feel uncomfortable. What is your problem? And then as it went on, I was like, oh my God, no, you're just this genius who cared so much about this that you went full method, learned everything off by heart. You obviously spent hours on it. And you're just an amazing artist, and now I think he's great. Yeah, and it was funny as well. It was so funny. It was the best. To steal the show in an event where Brad and Jen reunite, and Jen is playing Brad Pitt's sexual fantasy that he's wanking over, saying, will you come to me? To be more memorable than that is Mm. like a feat beyond all feats. Uh Uh-huh. Yes. So he's incredible, and for anyone who hasn't seen Honey Boy... I ended up watching it later that night mm-hmm. and it was so funny because my housemate is just hilarious and literally Honey Boy is the story of Shea's life and so if you haven't seen it, he, ha- he had a pretty crazy childhood where he grew up with his dad in basically like a motel, very a very rundown motel and his dad is a convicted sexual predator, drug and alcohol addict and doesn't have a job and basically him as a child actor is making the money to support both of them so it's like a really fucked up dynamic and it's super super interesting and i was watching it with my housemate at the end she was like hmm i don't know quite self-involved i was like it's literally the story of his life i don't even know 
I don't know what else he's supposed to do. He was like, everyone has like bad lives. I was like, yeah, but they're not all child actors paying for their like drug addicted dad to survive. That's really interesting. It's given me a a newfound respect for him. Oh, you should watch Honey Wet's so great. And then Peanut Butter Falcon is also another incredible movie that he is in. I'm Mm -hmm. very much a fan. But back to Fast Times at Ridgemont High, I want to ask you. Hmm. So Matthew McConaughey, hot zaddy. Mm -hmm. Brad Pitt just ludicrously good looking. I don't know how he's hotter now than he ever has been, but he just somehow is. And, Mm -hmm. And then... Henry Golding, who's just like the hottest sweet angel in the world who you have flirted with before. Yes, that's the truth. At the Crazy Rich Asians <laughs> junket, he's married, so this is a joke, but he was like, hi. And I was like, hi. And then we were just like having a fun chat. And then my friend went and interviewed him a few months later for a simple favor in New York. And she's like, I work at L. And he was like, oh my God, do you know Grace O'Neill? Oh, great. I don't think he knew the O'Neill, but he remembered me. That's... He was like, give him my number. I'm kidding. He's married. I'm kidding. <laughs> Henry. Henry. <laughs> okay. Shoot Shag Mary. Okay. Definitely shoot Matthew McConaughey. Shag Brad Mary Shag Henry. Brad Mary Henry. Mm. It's just science. <laughs> I know. I was the same. Yeah, I was the same. But Brad is like... So we watched it and I think we felt what you then discovered a vulture story had articulated. Yes. Which is that Brad Pitt is so good at being a celebrity. It's insane. Yeah, he is. He, he, so when we were watching it, we were like, how is he so charming? Mm -hmm. How is he so ridiculously good looking, but looking very effortless. It's like the glossier. Yes, he's Boy. the glossier of men. Yes, yeah. where he looks like he hasn't tried, but he just looks so effortless. Every single time someone kind of said something funny, he would like had his head down a bit and he would like kind of glance up and laugh. He just looks so relaxed. It was so carefree. He, you know, he's the one that calls out Jen when they first When they down. first go on, he's like, hey, Aniston. And she's like, hey, honey. Or like, hey, Pitt. Mm. And I was like, this is just crazy that you left her in the most high profile Hollywood scandal of all time. All time ever. Ever. And you just get away with like getting on a Zoom 20 years later and being like, hey. And everyone's like, oh, Brad, he's so gorgeous. I know. And then the Vulture article, which we didn't even know existed, but we were just, we were basically, we basically spoke the Vulture article. Mm -hmm. Um, Was all about how Brad has mastered celebrity branding to the point where it doesn't even feel like branding. He is Teflon and everyone is obsessed with him, is what they said. So basically being like this, everything a celebrity does in the public eye has strategy behind it. But Brad makes it look so effortless and like it's not strategy and that we all love him. And then we forget that freaking Angelina Jolie, they don't say this in the Vulture article, but that, that Angelina Jolie divorced him because he reportedly hit their kid on a plane. He is a massive alcoholic and a stoner. And he left his first wife in a public affair. And now he's dating a married 27-year-old hottie. Yeah, he just, like, no one can touch him. He just can't, like, nothing. He I'm like, but Brad's never done anything. And then I'm like, the actual federal police were called to the his private jet because there was a domestic altercation between him and his child. And they got called by the pilot. And they the police stopped at the airport. And then Angelina Jolie divorced him. And we're like... We don't care. Like, we just won't. Yeah. He's just untouchable. And it's because he's, it's actually amazing 
because it relates to real life where it's like charisma gets you so far. Like it's not just because he's handsome. It's because he's like the most charismatic person Mm -hmm. ever. Barack Obama mm-hmm. got him the presidency in the most racist country because he's yeah. so charismatic. So charismatic. And you just like, we all got that friend who's just so like useless or funny. I was like, us, <laughs> us, we're the friends who just suck. Like we're useless and stuff. And we're like, sorry. And people are like, oh, you little scamp. Don't worry about it. <laughs> They'll be like, I crashed your car. Sorry. And then someone's like, oh, that's nice. fine. It's fine. Yes. From Brad Pitt, masterfully tricking us all to some very sad news that on Friday it was announced that Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg had passed away at age 87 after a battle with pancreatic cancer. So we wanted to discuss her in general because obviously everyone would have been seeing a lot about her death and a lot about her life on social media. But if you're not incredibly across her life's work, as I wasn't really, I knew mm, neither. Yeah. I woke up at Four in the morning that night. Did you see how I posted an afterward drink? Something like in the yeah, middle of the night. Yeah, I was like, wh- why? Because <laughs> yeah. we're in the same time zone. Yeah. I woke up in the middle of the night and couldn't sleep because weirdly our heaters keep turning on. It's the middle of summer. So I was just dying, like writhing around in my bed um, and saw that she had passed away. So I put a thing up on our podcast. But even then I was like, I know she's a feminist legend, but I don't know all that much about her. And I've never seen this amazing documentary that we have both since watched. To find out more about her life um, and how she got to where she is. Yes. I'm so glad we watched, we both watched that documentary like just before we recorded as well, because I feel as if it like, I feel like if I'd seen it before she died, it might not have even had the same impact as it did watching it after she died. Mm. She's such a legend. I think the thing that I love most about her is that she's so, so, so instrumental in, like, modern women's rights from a legal perspective. The New Yorker said, aside from Thurgood Marshall, who was a black civil rights leader and a Supreme Court justice, no single American has so wholly advanced the cause of equality under the law. So it's one of the top two people in American history to advance equality in American lawmaking. And she did it in this very quiet, understated just slowly chipped away her whole career. She's very quiet and soft-spoken. She was never loud. She never argued with people. She would just quietly, concisely make her case either in writing or in person. And just through that, she just opened up this floodgate to getting so many individual laws changed, which is why like pay equality is mm. a legal thing, why in letting women attend certain academies is a legal thing, so many things. Yeah, so I read a quote saying, women, if you have a credit card in your own name. Sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> and they're literally staring at me like this. I know, I've been thinking about them as well. <laughs> We're talking about flaming hot Cheetos that are on this table. We ordered for Uber Eats from like $40. I've literally thrown them across the room and I know I'm going to get on my fucking knees in like four minutes. <laughs> I was thinking about them the whole time. Fuck. Okay. There's going to be all this rustling. People are going to be like, why was it better quality over Zoom? <laughs> okay. <clears throat> 
Women, if you have a credit card in your own name and your own credit history, if you've leased an apartment or bought a property in your name, if you've consented to your own medical treatment, if you played sport in school, you can thank Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Oh, don't. I'm actually going to cry at that. That's Same. so beautiful. Um, and I think what I found most interesting about the way she went about things is her whole thing, so as to not scare off all the fucking bigots, mm-hmm. was to be like, it's all about gender equality. It's not about, you know, she's, she's obviously a feminist icon, but she wasn't like, it's not about women needing to get all of this and all of that. It's just about everything being equal. And mm-hmm. then she would take on men's cases as mm-hmm. well to prove her point. So she would fight for a man to get a certain thing just so that she could then say, well, we passed that so that man could, could get that. So, so therefore, so we therefore need to give, this yeah. woman should get it as well if everything's equal and things have to be equal between the sexes. And I was like, you're so iconic. Whereas we just, I just sit here and I'm like, fuck you. That's not fucking fair. And then they're like, oh, she's just an angry woman. <laughs> We're not even going to listen to a single thing she says. That's what's so amazing about her. She was so strategic and thoughtful and quiet about it. And I loved how... This footage showed her in her late late 80s. She obviously knew that everyone was obsessed with her and was like really into it because she played up to it a Mm. lot. But you could tell she'd spent her whole life, just so gorgeous when she was younger, like heaven. Heaven. She'd spent her whole life being this quiet, discreet, chill feminist person. And then finally in her later years, everyone realized and she was like, yeah. Yeah. Um, so she was only one of nine female students at Harvard Law School in a class of 540. It was in the 50s. And, like, to get into Harvard Law School as a woman in the 50s is very hard. Well, they sat down. So the dean called all nine of the women to his office and was like, why are you taking up one of the spots that could go to men? That's so outrageous. That's what I mean. I think it was so crazy for me to watch because we talk so much about women's rights and women's advancement and equality and sexism. And I think we genuinely do forget how recent a lot of the most messed up sexist history is. Like, it's crazy to me to see someone who only died a few days ago say, oh, yeah, I I literally couldn't get a job Mm. when I came out of Harvard Law School at a single law firm in New York City because they didn't hire women. And that's a person that we could talk to now who's 87, who's, you know, it's not something that happened 200 years ago. Like, this history is so recent. I know. That's what I, yeah, I was finding that really mind-boggling as well. I was like, it's just outrageous how bad it was for women so, so. Recently. So recently. Mm. Um, And she was first in her class. So, so she was on the Harvard Law Review, which meant she was the top 25 students at Harvard Law, and she was first in her class while raising a two-year-old child, and while her husband, Marty, bless his heart, Marty. was getting chemo, and so she was getting his notes from his classmates, helping him to pass, passing herself, and looking after the child because he was sick. It's so insane. She says, you know, oh, I was, like, top of my class in Harvard, but the thing that made it so much easier was cut pan out my two-year-old son i was like pardon and she was basically saying that having i was her daughter she was saying that having a child was good because it meant there was a line between her uni life and her home life and i just think can anyone now get their mind around being 20 years old having a two-year-old kid and studying law full-time at harvard she's just so incredible and that was the first of a billion things she did 
Let's take a quick second to talk about Marty, her husband. I love Marty so much. Marty is also a feminist icon, and The Cut, I think, ran a story today being like, may every woman find their Marty Ginsburg. Mm. Honestly. Seriously. So Marty was, they met at, um, they met at law school and it was a blind date, but Marty had secretly looked up who she was and was like, you're a fucking hottie and went on the date. Mm -hmm. And she, Ruth famously said he was the only boy who cared I had a brain and he wasn't, um, threatened by her or anything like that. And then he was the person. So when it came to picking a new justice, Bill Clinton was the president. Marty, because Ruth was super quiet and Marty's really funny and outgoing, Marty campaigned for her so hard that he called up any person he knew that could have like gotten her a nomination. And then she ended up meeting with Bill Clinton and got it because And Bill Clinton Marty. fell in love with her. So the quote in the documentary was, I think, um, Ruth was in the top 20 shortlist and Marty made her number one. Yeah. And it's so gorgeous. And just having someone who loves your success, who thinks that your success and your intelligence is the best thing about you, who is constantly in awe of how amazing you are, who joke, like jokes about prying you away from work, but just supports your career. And he did all that while also having like an incredibly, incredibly, incredibly successful career on his own. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't like he had to give that up for her. I just think it's such an amazing role model for men in heterosexual relationships. Google Marty Ginsburg. Put him on your Pinterest board. I don't know. Pinterest board. I was like, where are you going with this? And you went there. Like him, your idol. Yes. It's like there are so few male role models like that that we can get excited about. Okay. Now to speak about the negative uh things that are now going to happen because rbg died during a trump presidency so basically people are now like the minute she died people were getting angry at her for not retiring sooner when it was an obama presidency because now basically whoever's president if there is a spot open on the supreme court that current president picks the next person to be nominated and they have to be approved by the House of Representatives in the Senate, but they put forward their yeah. shortlist. Yes. Which is how a certain Mr. Kavanaugh, got Brett in. Kavanaugh, got on the Supreme Court. Yeah. And so it's really, really important that the Supreme Court is balanced and that there's as many Democrats as Republicans or as many, you know, left and right wing people. And there's a bit of a precedent of if a conservative justice dies or retires, that even a Democratic president will replace them with a uh, conservative justice to keep the balance alive because uh, Supreme Court justices serve for life. So they're going to outrun the presidency that appoints them. So it's like a very, very big deal, even compared to being a president or a senator or whatever. So... What Ruth Bader Ginsburg obviously did not expect, as with the rest of the world apart from Putin, that Trump <laughs> was going to become president. So she thought that it was going to be Hillary Clinton, obviously, and it would all be fine. So she didn't retire when Obama was still president. And it's also worth noting that the Senate under Obama was a very, very Republican-dominated Senate, which is why Obama couldn't pass a lot of legislation like gun increased gun control after Sandy Hook. He had a Republican Senate to deal with. You can't get anything through without them approving it. So RBG knew that if she stepped down, even if it was under Obama, that the Senate could block his option. So I think she was hoping that in the election, 
the Senate would be more equalized and therefore they could get through someone under Hillary Clinton that would be better. So she oh, took a gamble yeah. and it didn't pay off. Yes. So now she has passed away and one of her last wishes was hoping that she wouldn't be replaced until there was a new president. And now Trump is rushing this through. There was like these crazy, he's holding these crazy rallies where people are um, shouting, fill that seat, fill that seat. And he is just not going to do what, he's not going to do the right thing, obviously, because it's Trump, but he's literally like racing to fill the seat before the election, which is fucked because when Obama was president and their seat came up in February, it is Mm. now late September, mm-hmm. one of the Republican Supreme Court judges was like, no, 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 it should be the next president that picks. Mm-hmm. And so Obama was like, okay, fine, and left it. And Mitch McConnell, who's the Senate majority leader for the Republicans, is just a shameless mess. And he, during that person, said, we're not going to pick, we're not going to pick, we're not going to pick in February. And now it came out literally within hours of RBG dying and said, we're going to rush someone through before. Yeah. Um, the election. The problem with it is as well, which is really scary, is that Trump has shown himself to be so inept and so awful that so many Republicans basically were just turning on him in the wake of the pandemic and Black Lives Matter saying, we just cannot vote for this man. He's too repulsive. And the problem with RBG dying is now that people who could not justify voting for Trump can now make the argument of, oh, I'm not voting for him. I'm voting for the future of the Supreme Court bench. So it's like almost given an argument to people who had no no valid excuse to vote for Trump to now pretend that it's like about a greater good in their eyes. Mm. And it's just changed the nature of the election to being about something bigger than Trump, which is in many ways a benefit for Trump because a lot of people argue that he's a necessary evil for something so like this now gives people the argument of well he's a necessary evil to get a more conservative supreme court which is really upsetting and scary and who he's looking at to take over rbg's seat two women both of whom are incredibly catholic both of whom are incredibly anti-abortion and now it and now it's at risk of rbg's entire life's work like Mm being on the Supreme Court until age 87 to try and fight for women's rights, being completely undone. It's like, that's literally what happened, I feel, with Obama, where we were so stoked that we had Obama, this progressive, the first ever black president, and then the next year it's fucking Trump. Mm -hmm. And now it just feels like RBG worked her whole life for all of this, and then suddenly it's like, boom, we're replacing you with a woman who's going to undo Roe versus Wade. Like, you could literally... the, The... the potential is is that soon abortion will be illegal in the entire United States. And people really need to think critically, as we've said before, Donald Trump replacing RBG with a woman is not commendable. It's not something to clap him for. It's not something to pat him on the back for. There are no women in the Supreme Court apart from RBG. If he replaces a left-leaning liberal justice with a anti-abortion, anti-gay, conservative values, white woman... It doesn't fucking matter that she's no, a woman. It's, no. Like, it's not. It, that's nothing to be... Don't be tricked by it. A person's sex bears no necessary relationship to ability. It was difficult, even into the middle 70s, to persuade judges who at that time were overwhelmingly male and white 
to persuade them that there was such a thing as discrimination against women because their idea was women are on a pedestal. Women are protected by the law. And many women were finding out that these so-called protections were protecting men's jobs from women's competition. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great, too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. On to our big topic, which is something that I think a lot of you guys listening, most millennial women we know we're talking about this week, was Emily Ratajkowski's essay for New York Magazine called Buying Myself Back. It was this really fascinating deep dive into her relationship with her image, into ownership of her image. It kind of listed a bunch of examples of times when she didn't own her image and had no control over how her image was used, which is very much the nature of the modeling industry and is very much the nature of fame in general. And in it, she very bravely accused a very prominent photographer. Actually, he's not very prominent, accused a photographer, Jonathan Leader, of sexual assault after a 2012 photo shoot. Um, Izzy, what did you make of this whole thing? I thought that... Well, firstly, she's a very good writer. Mm -hmm. And I think that... I think that that whole conversation about models... We've talked about this a bit, but I've always been like... There has never been a Me Too moment for models. Mm -hmm. Because models are just this this kind of... I feel like they're in this category where no one really knows what to do with them. Mm -hmm. And no one really knows. Even though a bunch of photographers have been accused of sexual assault and harassment. Even though the modeling industry, yes, models make money. But it's all run by men. You know, all of the prominent photographers are men. All of the people high up at magazines are men. Mm -hmm. Um, And I thought that it was very interesting. I mean, the thing about... So, at the start of her essay, she talks about how she posted a paparazzi photo. And then she's getting sued for that. And I was like, I feel like that makes sense. Because that's... It's shit that someone can take a photo of you and you don't own it. It's a very like strange thing, but it's happened. But it's, like, just, it's happened so many times. Yeah. Like it happened with Gigi Hadid, it happened with Bella Hadid, it happened with Amy Schumer. It, it happened, happened with, with our friend who got papped in Sydney, and and now she's on the um yes on the news website whenever there's a winter. cold day in Sydney. Exactly. I think that that is a strange concept that you can be photographed without your consent, and the photo can be used in certain yeah, ways same. without your consent. Um, but I feel like that conversation, not to dismiss Emily Ratajkowski's discussion about this specific paparazzi photo, is that it's very nefarious when it's used to show women with cellulite or not looking flattering in a bikini to sell like a tabloid image. Like to me, that's 
the much more darker, undecided yeah. thing of paparazzi yeah. photos. Emily like, Radicaski looked really like cute and gorgeous, and then she shared on Instagram. And yeah. then yeah. I feel like it is ho- it is fucking weird, but I think because we we're, we're already across that that stuff didn't surprise me. But for normal people, maybe they would be surprised that someone can just take your photo without your consent and then share it everywhere. But it's also like uh, just quickly on this specific part of the essay which Emily Ratajkowski acknowledged when she went on the Cuts podcast, is she said, paparazzi photos of me are very instrumental in my career. So, like, whenever you Mm. see a story on Vogue or Harper's Bazaar or Elle where it says Emily Ratajkowski wore the cutest new dress of the summer or Emily Ratajkowski shows how to wear, like, cargo pants in 2020, like, that's all very specific, strategized branding from her part where her publicist has requested that the paparazzi come to her house and she's worn a cute outfit on purpose to get a photo opportunity or blah 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 so it is like a symbiotic relationship that's very complicated Mm. um and i think as with a lot of things in the essay the nuance of a lot of the conversations was maybe not captured yeah okay and then i found her accusations against Jonathan Leder and him as a human being fucking disgusting. So basically I'm sure, I'm sure everyone listening has read the essay or knows the background of it, but just in case you don't, um, Emily, when she was unknown before blurred lines, before she became super famous, she was sent by her agent to this photographer's house in upstate New York and told she'd be staying the night for a photo shoot. And she looked him up and his photos looked really artsy and beautiful and girls in flowing dresses and in the fields. And she was like, okay, cool. She gets to the house. It's late. Um, a makeup artist starts doing her makeup after they've had dinner and after he's offered her wine and she's young and he's acting very disinterested in her. And I feel like, I feel like a lot of what she said is very easy to picture as a woman. Mm. Like you can very easily picture yourself being this young model wanting to do really well a photographer acting disinterested in and you. also how photographers are like our experience with male photographers there's like a very specific type of ego and arrogance mm. that comes with male photographers of fashion photography yeah and you're wanting you're wanting to prove yourself mm-hmm. like that that whole thing everything she was saying i was like i absolutely understand how you would be young and say yes of course i'll have a wine of course this of course that because he's acting he was acting so disinterested in her he never looked her in the eye he he didn't seem to give a fuck about her once he started shooting her he would make all these like sly comments about i thought you'd be skinnier than this all these disgusting comments about her nipples and making her feel super self-conscious super small um so that she kept drinking she kept trying to please and i think something people forget just quickly is like when you see images of really powerful beautiful supermodels that wasn't even the power dynamic in this photo shoot she's talking about but you see a final image that's blown up in a magazine or on a billboard or whatever when that's being shot it's a woman and a man with the camera and a few assistants around and like that's the dynamic so the dynamic that exists in the shoot is so removed from the dynamic that exists when you view the shoot. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Like it's 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 not like a model is being made to feel in the context of a shoot, like this person that's being watched by people from this giant height on a 60-foot billboard. It's a man that's physically bigger than her, that has a more profound career than her, that's more powerful and important than her, and she's trying to impress him so her career stays afloat. Mm. Like, that's the dynamic that you're then seeing in a totally different context when you view that image. Mm. Yeah. And it's funny how much that matters. You would think that wouldn't matter to someone like, say, Bella Hadid, but Bella Hadid 
famously is the nicest person on set to every mm-hmm. single person, including the assistant, because they know how much that affects your job. They know that they could be rude to the wrong person on any given day and completely lose their careers. Mm. Anyway, so Jonathan, um, Emily accuses him of sexually assaulting her that night. And then she heads back on the bus. She doesn't really hear much from him. He posts a photo of her on Instagram and then she hears later that he's going to publish a book of all of the images he took of her without her consent, named Radikowski years later, once she's become famous. So she gets on the phone to lawyers, she gets on the phone to her agent, and she's like, what the fuck can I do about this? And there is nothing she can do about it except pursue him and like risk losing all of this money, literally just to make some money off the sales of the book. And the, but the, all of the images are everywhere, they're already all over the mm-hmm. internet, there's already all of this press about them. And so she thinks, okay, well, I'm going to say I'm not comfortable with this. So she posts on Twitter a statement saying, I'm really uncomfortable with this. I didn't consent to this happening. I don't want this to happen. I feel like horrific about this. I feel sick. And then that goes on to garner more press and more more publicity and more people go to the opening of this because it's like, oh, here are the images Emily Ratajkowski doesn't want you to see of her. Mm-hmm. Like, it's so disgusting. I'm surprised we don't remember this because I don't remember that happening I as a story. Do. I, don't, I don't remember it at all. But yeah. it's, I mean, I'm happy that I had never seen the images and that I wasn't across him as a photographer and I wasn't aware of that book. But um, it would be a really fucking horrible situation to find yourself in. But I think with Emily Ratajkowski... She's such a fucking fascinating figure in pop culture that you just, there is no simple way to have a conversation about her. Like I kept trying when we were thinking about this episode to like boil down the Emily Ratajkowski thing into Mm. a sentence and you just can't because she straddles this insane line. She's like this embodiment of like what women are going through right now where she's straddling this line between like exploitation and empowerment between embracing your femininity and utilizing the system as it exists to make money and suit your own lifestyle versus just being part of that system and creating a system that suppresses women she's just always on this like thin line between both Mm. She's so interesting. Yeah. Like, I love her. (laughs) Yeah. She's been so interesting for years. Years and years and years. I remember when she first became a thing through Blurred Lines, we were a lot younger. And I just remember being like, holy shit, this girl is so good looking. Um, She's so whatever. And then everyone followed her on Instagram. And then she started saying that her being naked and her posting photos in a bikini was feminism and it was empowering and then she started going to rallies and she's been arrested for protesting feminist matters um and the whole time i've i've always been like i can't figure out how i feel about her Mm -hmm. i remember when you worked at bazaar i think was it and they did a Mm -hmm. shoot they did her as a cover yeah and i was like i can't figure out whether i believe what she's saying or whether i don't and it's because she argues that feminism is women doing whatever makes them feel empowered. And then when I was reading this essay, I was like, fuck this, that that happened to you. Fuck this man. Fuck this system. This is all absolute bullshit. But at the same time, as I've always felt about her, I still felt uneasy. And then 
a friend of mine, Rosie, who's an angel and listens to the podcast, she's forwarded me on a newsletter by this girl called Haley, who used to work at Man Repellent. It's called Maybe Baby. And in it, she was very um, perfectly articulating exactly what I think about Emrata, where it was like, she Emrata calls what she does feminism because she feels empowered about the way she poses and the way she uses her body because that her body makes money off the patriarchy. And if that's making you money, then that's incredible. And if that's making you feel empowered, then that's incredible. But at the same time, is that really doing anything positive or progressive for the feminist movement as a whole? And Haley was like, you know, M. Rada will pose naked, but she's not posing naked sitting in a chair like you and I are doing right now. She's posing naked with her hips pushed back in a beautiful bikini or with her makeup done, with an Instagram face on, with her lips pouted. Very much through a lens of the male gaze. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this is what's so complicated about her is that we need to be able to sit with the fact that, like, I'm stoked that M. Rada can go and make a shitload of money off a fucked up system that treats women as if all they are are their bodies. Like I'm more than happy for that to be the way she makes a living. I'm more than happy for her to like exploit that for every fucking dollar she can get. That doesn't make it feminist. This is the complicated thing with like social movements is that it just cannot be about individual bit players because if you argue that and you're like, okay, Ivanka Trump feels empowered being Donald Trump's Think Melania Trump felt empowered marrying Donald Trump and making millions of dollars of it and never having to work a day in her life again. Like that argument is a very slippery slope that doesn't really lead anywhere helpful. And as great as it is that Emily Ratajkowski feels fantastic about posing naked, like it makes women feel shit about themselves <laughs> to look at Emrata. Like, like yeah. that's just the truth. It doesn't progress the feminist movement to have somebody say that looking like she does in a bikini is feminism. It doesn't progress the feminist movement for her to have her tits out in the blurred lines video grinding on Robin Thicke. Like that can feel uncomfortable to say because we don't want to slam Emrata because she's getting slammed by assholes that say nasty things about her. And we want to protect her from that. Yeah. But it doesn't mean that her politics aren't a little bit confused. And I think that this essay is this perfect example of someone who has fantastic intentions and is obviously like a thoughtful, lovely, wonderful person who is just trying to figure out this fucked up thing that we don't understand. And the shit thing is, is the way she feels has been projected on her from such a young age where Mm. it's like from fucking day dot when she started getting boobs, which was like age 13. She wrote about this for... Lenny Letter in an essay called Baby Woman, which is really fascinating and everyone should read. Yeah. She talked about how she was objectified from such a young age because she started getting boobs when she was super young and she saw men looking at her differently and she started feeling disassociated from her own body. And it's funny because I do not look like Emrata at all, but I've had big boobs my whole life. Mm. And like the way I think of my boobs is not me being like, oh, Mm. I have nice tits or whatever like i don't even know how to talk about it Mm. as a woman like you know what i mean that sounds like such a thing a man would say Mm. but it's not like i'm like oh i have good boobs or whatever or this is like nice it's because i think of it as looking sexy to a man Mm -hmm. and so i completely hide the way i look so when she was talking when m rada was talking about that i was like i completely understand because from a very young age i've tried to 
avoid wearing tight clothes. She felt like that and then she's now found a way to make that powerful. And even I found one of the most one of the most powerful parts of her whole essay is when she said that she found out that sorry, we haven't even talked about this, but I hope you guys have just read it or paused this and read it. But there was an artist called Richard Prince who his whole thing is taking um images from Instagram and turning them into art. And he turned one of her images into art and then one of the comments on the image, which was in German, so it's literally like, it looks like an Instagram post with the comments and everything in a in a art piece. And one of the comments was saying in German that Emrata had saggy boobs. And she said that to her boyfriend. Now husband put his arms around her and said, I think you're perfect. And even that made her go hard and be like, fuck, fuck this. Like, why does it matter what you think of me? Mm-hmm. Like, why does you thinking I'm perfect mean that I should feel better about myself. And I found that super interesting. I found those little nuances in her piece about like how she's growing up and like learned that her body slowly is hers and that her boyfriend said that like very, very interesting. The whole thing is so complicated because when we talk about this whole concept of the male gaze, it's like viewing yourself through the eyes of men who sexually objectify you. So that's what every woman is doing every single day. And if you think you're not doing that, like look at how you look at yourself in the mirror before you leave. Like I look at myself in the mirror the way I want a man to see me when I'm on the street or I will purpose. That's why man repeller when we talked about it was so powerful because it was like, I will wear what I'm wearing today, which is like loafers, baggy pants, baggy t-shirt, because I want to subvert that gaze because I don't want to engage with men in that way when I go outside because it's draining and upsetting for me. Whereas if I decide to wear like high heels, tights, and a little dress, I know I'm engaging with the male gaze when I go outside, but I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to put up with this because I feel good wearing it. Mm. And it's not them making me feel good wearing it. It's just me. But like, those lines are so complicated and we've now spoken to like the fucking author of the beauty myth like we've spoken to florence given like we've spoken to so many amazing iconic feminist women and said how the hell do you separate what you want and what makes you feel good from what you've been conditioned to think makes you feel good and no one has an answer because there's no answer you know what i mean so it's like slamming emily radikowski is wrong because her feeling empowered by her being the one who controls the images and her being the one that makes the money is not wrong because the system is so fucked up that like awesome that you can do that but at the same time when you buy into the system it makes other women look at emily radikowski and be like oh my god my tits aren't big enough i'm not skinny enough my hair's not long enough my cheeks aren't perfect enough Mm. i am not valuable and it's also like when she poses on the beach in a bikini with her hips pushed back and a pout who is she looking to look good for but the thing that's so crazy is that like the male gaze is so potent that like women have internalized it and so it's like have- she's performing it to us as well because like a huge i reckon her followers would be 50 50 nah you don't reckon nah. but almost every woman i know loves emily radikowski i reckon her followers would be like 80, 20, 70, 30. Maybe 70, 30. But she has a big female following. Yeah. She's not like a yeah, random yeah, yeah, girl yeah, yeah. that has no, no female no. fans. So it's like what she's doing is also performing to women. But it's because women have internalized how yeah, men yeah. see women. Like yeah. it's so yeah. confusing. Um, we both 
loved when we were because we were basically looking for any articles off the back of this essay we're writers we should fucking do our jobs but any (laughs) anyone else who had talked about how we felt and the only thing we could find apart from this incredible newsletter was that Hadley Freeman had written a piece for The Guardian a few years ago talking about Emily Ratajkowski. One of her direct quotes is, Feminism is about fighting for collective equality between the sexes. It is not about personal and individual empowerment. That's just making yourself feel good. And that's kind of exactly how it feels with M. Rada, where she's like, she, she is a feminist. She fights for women's rights. But at the same time, she's like, I want to be a feminist and I want to fight for women's rights while also posting a very sexy bikini photo of myself and I want to call that feminism. And it's like not everything has to be feminism because that's exhausting. It's like I want to get Botox because I'm self-conscious about aging because we live in a society that makes you self-conscious about aging. I can go and get Botox and expect people to not give me shit. But it doesn't make me getting Botox a feminist act because getting Botox is anti-feminist because it's saying that women should look as if they don't age, which is fucked up because we don't expect that for men. And it's like, we can understand, you know, like it's okay. It's okay. Amrata, if you believe in the tenets of feminism and the way you make money is anti-feminist because like there are some pathways that are available to you. If I was hot enough that people would pay me millions of dollars to be on the cover of sports illustrated, I would do that too. Same. You know, it doesn't make me, it, it doesn't make that a feminist act, but you doing that doesn't make you not a feminist. It's yeah. all just complicated. Yeah. 100%. <laughs> oh my God. It's so interesting. And this is why it's so interesting because it's like, you can see her grappling when she talks about it and she's just not quite there yet in yeah. getting it. And that's so fine. And then when we talk about it, we're grappling because we're like, because it's like, when I shave my underarms, when I yes. um, dye my hair, when I get a Brazilian, when I wear makeup, when I spend $600 on rationale, like all of these things. <laughs> Slid that in there. <gasps> Do you know what I mean? Like all of these things are like bad for feminism in the sense that I'm like very drastically weighing down my financial inequality with my partner with things that just like are all about me looking different in public. You know what I mean? Mm. But I consider myself a feminist. You consider yourself a feminist. We do all of these things. We know that they're not feminist things to do, but we haven't figured out how to live. But when I sh- yeah, exactly. When I shave my arm, my underarms, mm. I'm like, I now think about it all the time. Mm. I'm like, am I shaving my underarms because I don't want hair there or because the patriarchy doesn't want my hair there and i can't figure it out cannot know yeah like there is no way for you to but then i but then i know that when i don't shave my legs i never shave my legs i'm a lazy bitch if i don't shave them for for like a week or whatever and there's hair there i don't feel disgusted by it but i feel just better when it's not there but Mm -hmm. that's also because i've been taught from the day you were born that you should be hairless exact that's what i mean that's why I love this conversation and I love Emrata for fostering it. And I just think she's gorgeous and I think she's a little bit wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it's fu- like, it's so fine to be wrong. I would so much prefer her. This is what like frustrates yes. me is that like Kim Kardashian does all the shit Emrata does times a billion. And cause she's like, guess what guys? I don't give a shit about feminism. Everyone's like, no worries, Kim. All good. Like Victoria's Secret Angels. So many models just are like, I don't care about other women. I just care about me. And everyone's like, yes, darling. And well, everyone's no, like, no, not everyone's like, yes, darling. But no one, 
they're not in the media because they're, they're not saying anything because that's they're not the, confused the, and, and minute, writers like oh i don't know but exactly as we've said in the past the minute you say anything mm. you're slammed mm-hmm. and it's so much easier to keep your mouth shut it's so much easier to not do anything it would be so much easier for M. Rider to have been in the Blurred Lines video for her to have amassed the exact same amount of Instagram followers as she would have either way, for her to have, like, whatever. She would she would be almost in the exact same position as she's in today to have not said anything. Mm-hmm. And then for her to be like, no, 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 I'm a feminist. No, no, I believe this. No, 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 rah, rah. And that's fucked. We should be holding accountable other people who don't say things instead of bloody slamming people who do. Exactly. I, I really hate that cultural thing that we have where if someone decides to try and speak out, we like jump on them and try and ruin their lives. I don't feel like that. I'm so happy that Emily Ratajkowski exists. She's by far the most interesting model in the whole industry. I love that she wrote this essay and she's facilitating a really, really, really important cultural conversation. Yeah. And I think that the one thing... I think the one thing that you say missed, which would have been incredible, I get that it, it was a personal essay and it and it was mm-hmm. really well written, but I think that it really missed speaking about the modeling industry as a whole. It mm. really missed any kind of tangible change that could be made off the back of it. It was basically like, this happened to me and this fucking sucks and it does fucking suck. But I think it would have been kind of more interesting had she literally added a paragraph being like, this is what happens to a lot of models in my industry and this is how we can help it. Or this is what we can do to tangibly make change because the modeling industry still is so murky and weird. And we've talked about like numerous allegations Mm -hmm. against photographers. We've talked about numerous models speaking out and it's still just so unprotected. They are so young. They're overly sexualized. It's, I think like one thing people really, really don't understand, you know, like schadenfreude, how like people love bad things happening to like successful people. Mm. I think the reason the Me Too movement hasn't taken off in the modeling industry is because of schadenfreude, A, and B, because most people in the modeling industry are teenagers who don't have any cognitive understanding of what's happening to them. But like my first shoot I ever went on as a like fashion writer or as a fashion assistant was with a girl who was 15 years old and her mum came on the shoot and like we shot this girl who looked like a fucking kid like she came from high school mm. she looked like a little girl they used to happen to me all the time where the they would have to leave before a certain time to like, for school, for school right yeah. and like they would be transformed through makeup and clothes into looking like these powerful sexy women and it's the most messed up part of the fashion industry by far is like that gap between what you see on runways and in billboards and in magazines versus what these girls are actually like in real life. A really fantastic example I was looking up recently is Abby Champion, who is going out with Patrick Schwarzenegger, who is Arnold Schwarzenegger's son. Used to go out with Taylor Swift, maybe. Um, but he's a, he's a Kennedy, so I'm like very interested in the Kennedys. And he, she looks in runways and in um, editorials like so powerful and like sexy and grown up and womanly and then you she posts pictures of herself with her family and it like breaks my heart i'm like you look like a kid like you're like a little kid like Mm. she's 20 i think but that's even kaya gerber yeah and kaya gerber looks so like grown up and 
incredible and she's she's a beautiful girl but i saw her twice in la once sitting with her friends at a mexican restaurant and another time with jacob alordi like getting smoothies and i was like who the fuck are you jacob alordi honestly fuck off go I back to the gold coast can't believe you did it in daya and now kaya girl is a crawford's yeah. daughter that's just disgusting yeah um and she looks like a child and then and, you yeah. and even kendall jenner i'm like what is up with this but that's like the thing that's so messed up about the industry and my favorite anecdote about this as awful as it is is um if you google kate moss mark Wahlberg, they did a calvin klein underwear ad campaign together you google it now so you can see before i tell you the rest of the story can you see the images oh yeah okay this is like very iconic 90s fashion imagery of kate moss and mark Wahlberg both topless in Calvin Klein underwear and jeans all over each other, right? Kate Moss is 15 in those pictures. Oh, my God. And Kate Moss came out later and said, when I did that shoot, I kept running to the bathroom and bursting into tears because I was a virgin. I'd never kissed a boy. And me being naked with a man like this felt so inappropriate and so disgusting and so wrong. And I felt so upset. And my agent was like, you need to do this for your career. 15. Yeah, she's. I mean, she might be 16, but I remember the story as being 15. But, like, this is such a perfect example of when you look at that picture, it looks like this sexy, uh, self-possessed woman. And it's, like, a confused kid that hasn't even had sex herself. Mm -hmm. And, like, this is the basis of what's crazy about the modeling industry is that we pay children to act like they're adults. And then that's what our advertising campaigns are. Yeah. And it's so fucking weird <laughs> when you actually think about it. And I think that, like, Emily Ratajkowski is not the fucking punching bag for our conversations about this messed up industry. Like, do not blame her for, yeah. like, doing well out of this system. You know what I mean? It's not her fault. It's not her problem. Of course, she's entitled to make money off a system where she's going to make 48 billion times the money she would have made as an art student at ucla because she has big tits Mm. why the fuck wouldn't she do that you know what i mean it's just like what's the word hate the game not the player don't hate the player hate the game don't hate the player hate the game all right we're gonna wrap it up because we are almost two bottles of wine deep (laughs) A (laughs) a lot of bags of cheetos uh and one kinder bueno yeah, we've got a white bueno, which we only ordered because at the checkout of Uber Eats, someone was like, do you want this? And I was like, fine. <laughs> For one pound. One pound. Why not? So please, thank you. Well, <laughs> <laughs> please, whatever, bye. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Rate, review and subscribe if you feel like it. I'm not going to put any pressure on you this week. I don't know why we put so much pressure on people in the first place. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry for all Apologies. the episodes where we said that. We suck. Yeah. Just don't even worry about Just it. Just listen. Have a good time <laughs> and have a good rest of your week. We love you. Goodbye. We love you. Bye. Bye. Um, I wish we had four bottles of this. I know. We need more. Oh my God. There's none left. No. What did happen? Because we had a glass each yesterday. What are we going to do? I don't know. Just... Can we order someone who rides?
Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.